Hello, everybody, and welcome into episode number 361 of the Bible 2021 podcast. We are reading Revelation 21 today, and our focus is on how we are approaching an endless age that will lack pain, death, and tears. And we're going to talk about what is the most precious promise in the Bible. And will we live forever in heaven? Well, thanks for joining us. Thanks in particular to new listeners in Kanagawa, Japan, Prague, Czech Republic, Dublin, Ireland, Bihar, India, Parts Unknown, France, and Spain, Monterey, California, Scranton, Pennsylvania, Akron, Ohio, Bakersfield, California, Raleigh, Durham, North Carolina, San Diego, California, Laredo, Texas, Reno, Nevada, and Great Falls, Montana. Our goal is to stimulate you in daily Bible reading and understanding and obeying. And we do that by reading a chapter and talking about it and seeking to hear what the Word of God is saying. Well, let's get to the good part as quickly as possible. What is the best and most helpful promise in the Bible? The most hopeful promise in the Bible. And I would say that though there may be one or two that is equal, maybe, Revelation 21, 3 and 4 is absolutely as good and wonderful as a Bible promise as you will find. And it says this, Then I heard a loud voice from the throne. Look, God's dwelling is with humanity, and he will live with them. They will be his peoples, and God himself will be with them and will be their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. Death will be no more. Grief, crying, and pain will be no more because the previous things have passed away. A day is coming for those saved by God's grace through faith, when God will no longer live in a distant heaven away from our eyes and ears, but he will live with us. God with us. Like, what a wonder is that? We will be his people, and he will be our God. Further, there will be no more crying, no sadness, no grief, no pain. Hallelujah. That's awesome. And Maybe the most awesome promise of all, well, it's probably not the most awesome, but gosh, it's up there, is that death will no longer be the great and irrefutable separator of humans from each other. There will be no more death. That is fantastic. The good news of what Jesus has done for us leads to the great news of Revelation 21, 3 through 4. I want you to think about that. Death will be no more. What a glorious promise. The Bible tells us very clearly that death is an enemy. Almost all of us listening to this podcast right now have faced the specter of death before, either as a scare in our own lives or as a loss of somebody that we dearly loved. When we experience death up close and personal, we agree with the Bible's characterization of death as an enemy. Like Paul says in 1 Corinthians 15, 25, for he must reign until he puts all his enemies under his feet. The last enemy to be abolished is death. Even in the Old Testament, God was speaking through his prophets of a time when he would end death forever and wipe away all the tears of grief. And we see that in Isaiah 25, 6-9, which says, On this mountain the Lord of armies will prepare for all the peoples a feast of choice meat, a feast with aged wine, prime cuts of choice meat, fine vintage wine. On this mountain he will swallow up the burial shroud, the shroud over all the peoples, the sheet covering all the nations. When he has swallowed up death once and for all, The Lord God will wipe away the tears from every face and remove his people's disgrace from the whole earth 
For the Lord has spoken. On that day, it will be said, look, this is our God. We have waited for him and he has saved us. This is the Lord. We have waited for him. Let's rejoice and be glad in his salvation. So man, what a wonderful, wonderful promise. Death will be swallowed up by God. He will wipe away all of our tears. And the beginning of the end of death, of course, happened on Resurrection Sunday almost 2,000 years ago. We read about that all over the Bible, including in Hebrews 2, 14 through 15, sits, which says, Now since the children have flesh and blood in common, Jesus also shared in these, so that through his death he might destroy the one holding the power of death, that is the devil, and free those who were held in slavery all their lives by the fear of death. Amen. The death of Jesus and his resurrection will free us from the fear of death that we have been enslaved to from all of our lives. Good news, good promises. Next topic. Ultimately, where are we going to spend eternity? Well, most Christians would probably say in heaven, but Revelation 20 kind of clues us in not just Revelation 20, but Revelation 20 might be the the most obvious place for it, clues us in that in the last day, at the end of time, we don't go to heaven. Heaven comes to us, unites with the earth, and is made new or fully renewed. For instance, we see it in our passage today. We also see it in passages like Revelation 3.12. The one who is victorious, I will make a pillar in the temple of my God. Never again will they leave it. I will write on them the name of my God and the name of the city of my God, the new Jerusalem, which is coming down out of heaven from my God. And I will also write on them my new name. All right, how about Isaiah 24, 23? The moon will be dismayed, the sun ashamed, for the Lord Almighty will reign on Mount Zion and in Jerusalem and before its elders with great glory. And Jeremiah three seventeen. At that time, they will call Jerusalem the throne of the Lord and all nations will gather in Jerusalem to honor the name of the Lord. No longer will they follow the stubbornness of their evil hearts. And when we read Revelation 21 in a moment, we're going to see this new heaven and new earth birthed as the new Jerusalem, the heavenly Jerusalem comes and unites with the earth. So rather than Christians spending eternity in the old heaven, there will be a new heaven, a new earth, and God will live with us there. So says Revelation 21. Well, what will this new heaven be like? What will it be like to be in eternity in heavenly places? Well, I don't know. The Bible only gives us hints, but I love how C.S. Lewis takes those hints and runs with it in this passage. He says, Creatures are not born with desires unless satisfaction for those desires exists. A baby feels hunger. Well, there's such a thing as food. A duckling wants to swim. Well, there's such a thing as water. Men feel sexual desire. Well, there's such a thing as sex. If I find in myself a desire which no experience in this world can satisfy, the most probable explanation is that I was made for another world. If none of my earthly pleasures satisfy it, that does not prove that the universe is a fraud. Probably earthly pleasures were never meant to satisfy it, but only to arouse it to suggest the real thing. Apparently, then, our lifelong nostalgia our longing to be reunited with something in the universe from which we now feel cut off. To be on the inside of some door which we have always seen from the outside is no mere neurotic fantasy, 
or fancy, but the truest index of our real situation. And to be at last summoned inside would be both glory and honor beyond all our merits, and also the healing of that old ache. At present, we are on the outside of the world, the wrong side of the door. We discern the freshness and purity of morning, but they do not make us fresh and pure. We cannot mingle with the splendors we see, but all the leaves of the New Testament are rustling with the rumor that it will not always be so. Someday, God willing, we shall get in. Nature is mortal. We will outlive her. When all the suns and nebulas have passed away, each one of you will still be alive. Nature is only the image, the symbol, but it is the symbol of scripture invites me to use. We are summoned to pass in through nature beyond her into that splendor which she fitfully reflects. And in there, beyond nature, we shall eat of the tree of life. At present, if we are reborn in Christ, the spirit in us lives directly on God, But the mind, and still more, the body receives life from him at a thousand removes through our ancestors, through our food, through the elements. The faint, far-off results of those energies which God's creative rapture implanted in matter when he made the worlds are what we now call physical pleasures. And even filtered as they are, they are too much for our present management. What would it be like to taste at the fountainhead, that stream, of which even these lower reaches prove so intoxicating. Yet that, I believe, is what lies before us. The whole man is to drink joy from the fountain of joy. Well, that's a great and sublime description of an even greater and more sublime place that is coming because of what Jesus has done for us. Let's read the passage. Revelation chapter 21, verse 1 in the Christian Standard Bible. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. I also saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared like a bride adorned for her husband. Then I heard a loud voice from the throne, Look, God's dwelling is with humanity, and he will live with them. They will be his peoples, and God himself will be with them and be their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. Death will be no more. Grief, crying, and pain will be no more, because the previous things have passed away. Then the one seated on the throne said, Look, I'm making everything new. He also said, Right, because these words are faithful and true. Then he said to me, It is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. I will freely give to the thirsty from the spring of the water of life. The one who conquers will inherit these things, and I will be his God, and he will be my son. But the cowards faithless, detestable, murderers, sexually immoral, sorcerers, idolaters, and all liars, their share will be in the lake that burns with fire and sulfur, which is the second death. Then one of the angels who had held the seven bowls filled with the seven last plagues came and spoke with me, Come, I will show you the bride, the wife of the Lamb. He then carried me away in the spirit to a great high mountain and showed me the holy city, Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, arrayed with God's glory. Her radiance was like a precious jewel, like a jasper stone, clear as crystal. The city had a massive high wall with twelve gates. Twelve angels were at the gates. The names of the twelve tribes of Israel's sons were inscribed on the gates. There were three gates on the east, three gates on the north, three gates on the south, and three gates on the west. The city wall had twelve foundations, and the twelve names of the twelve apostles of the Lamb were on the foundations." 
The one who spoke with me had a golden measuring rod to measure the city, its gates, and wall. The city is laid out in a square. Its length and width are the same. He measured the city with the rod at 12,000 stadia. Its length, width, and height are equal. Then he measured its wall, 144 cubits according to human measurement, which the angel used. The building material of its wall was jasper, and the city was pure gold, clear as glass. The foundations of the city wall were adorned with every kind of jewel. The first foundation is jasper, the second sapphire, the third chalcedony, the fourth emerald, the fifth sardonyx, the sixth carnelian, the seventh chrysolite, the eighth beryl, the ninth topaz, the tenth chrysoprase, the eleventh jacinth, the twelfth amethyst. The twelve gates are twelve pearls, and each individual gate was made of a single pearl. The main street of the city was pure gold, transparent as glass. I did not see a temple in it, because the Lord God, the Almighty, and the Lamb are its temple. The city does not need the sun or the moon to shine on it, because the glory of God illuminates it, and its lamp is the Lamb. The nations will walk by its light, and the kings of the earth will bring their glory into it. Its gates will never close by day, because it will never be night there. They will bring the glory and honor of the nations into it. Nothing unclean will ever enter it, nor anyone who does what is detestable or false, but only those written in the Lamb's book of life. Amen and amen. What a bunch of good news. Let's close with our Bible memory passage for the month of December. Only four days left. Revelation 5.12, they said with a loud voice, Worthy is the Lamb who was slaughtered to receive power and riches and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and blessing. Yes, he is. Good day to you, friends, and Godspeed.